I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom. Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing fine. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Absolutely. I'm very ready. All right, let's give it a whirl. Okay, and I'd also like to just say thank you to all of our listeners all over the world in all four continents who are listening to us and helping us grow this little show. Yes, uh, welcome. Uh, welcome back uh, to those of you who are listening to us again. It is, again, very... Uh, 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 couldn't believe uh, uh, that uh, our little operation here would be heard in uh, four uh, continents and, and growing. Uh, so thank you all so much for listening. And for those of you, if this is your first episode, uh, the way that the podcast works is that in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure uh, to my mother uh, so that she can create an astrological birth chart. Uh, now you... The listening audience already know who this historical figure is. It's in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected this person, but Mom has no idea who this person might be. Uh, so I will give her the uh, birth date, time, and location of our mystery history guest. She will input that into the Bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the stars, planets, and moons were at the moment that person was born. Uh, she will then give us an initial reading, uh, giving us the character traits, personality, fortunes of this person. Uh, I will then reveal who this uh, mystery history guest is, give a little background about the person, and we will discuss how accurate the chart was at predicting who this person would be. Uh, so without further ado, let's begin. Okay. Uh, this is going to be a male. All right. Uh-huh. Uh, born on the 4th of July, 1872. <gasps> oh. Oh, 
All right. Do we have a time? I was able to find a time, as always with this. I'm not exactly sure where they're getting this from, but uh, we're going to go ahead and roll with it. 9 a.m. 9 a.m. 9 o'clock. All right. And where? Uh, Plymouth Notch, Vermont. Oh, the United States. I apologize. Okay. Yes, the United States. And Plymouth Notch. Is that two words? Yes. Vermont. Hmm. I don't see this yet. Here, here's Plymouth, Vermont. Should we go with that one? I guess so. Okay. All right. So again, this is a male born on the 4th of July, 1872, at 9 o'clock in the morning. Plymouth Notch, Vermont, regardless of what our program allows us to say. Wow. Oh my goodness. Ugh. This is always so amazing when I see these charts. Uh, wow. Okay. My goodness gracious. <sighs> All right. Well, I'm going to say that if this person is not in show business, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they wow. miss their calling. Yeah, no. Wow. Okay. That is. <laughs> they uh, really miss their calling. I don't think anyone has ever <laughs> said that, but wow. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so uh, here's the thing. Um, this person has uh, Virgo rising at five degrees, okay? But that puts Leo on their 12th house, right? Which means they have karma with things that are Leo, like show business and children and uh, leadership, things like that. Uh-huh. Even though this person doesn't have you know, anything in this 12th house, they do have Jupiter in Leo, which would also, and it's in the 11th house, which gives them great uh, benevolence with leading groups of people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, see, because they, they have all of the, see this concentration here in the 11th house of all these planets Yes. with uh, Venus and Sun and Mercury and Uranus and Jupiter. All right. So that is a huge amount of planets in the 11th house dealing with the people, mm-hmm. all right? Dealing with groups of people, and I would say leading groups of people or performing for groups of people. Huge deal, all right? Then in their 10th house, they have North Node, Moon, and Mars in their 10th house, all right? Um, I'm just going to kind of give an overview that I'll go back and, and, and say, you know, what these things are, but Pluto in Taurus in the ninth house, <laughs> a little bit dogmatic, I think. Um, and then, uh, eighth house has Neptune and Chiron in Aries. Oh, this is a lot. But that fifth house with Saturn in Capricorn in the fifth house. That's that's the business 
it, it, it could be the business of leadership, but Saturn is, you know, lessons with, this would be Saturn in Capricorn in the fifth house. So it's lessons with show business, with leadership, could be leadership, but um, everything is very concentrated. In fifth, not I mean, in eighth, ninth, tenth, and eleventh, every planet they have is in either the eighth, ninth, tenth, or eleventh houses, except for this Saturn in the fifth house. Okay, so first of all, having Virgo rising. Anytime you're dealing with Virgonian things, you're dealing with, you know, like the physical communication process. Virgos want to be the best. They want to be the uh, person who fixes it, like who um, organizes it and, 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 and does the work that makes people happy. They, they really want to do the best work to make people happy. That's what they want to do. So this person has Virgo ascending and so I would assume that this person was possibly, well, very quick, very smart. Um, could be very witty. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then um, there's nothing in the second house, but it's ruled by Libra. So this person would have really loved, you know, beautiful Venusian things, you know, very opulent um, not in a fiery way, in an airy way, in a Libra way. So really pretty, elegant. Uh, <laughs> fire signs tend to like things that are royal, you know, at least Leos and Aries do. But Sagittarians, they like, I don't know, animal heads on the wall. <laughs> That's not true. They really do like opulent things, but Sag is so earthy. Okay. And then um, Scorpio in the third house. Um you know, but no planets in there. Uh, Sagittarius in the fourth house. Uh, Earthy would have made them kind of, you know, like to be out away uh, for their home. Enjoy staying in places that were kind of rustic. Um, Then with this fifth house is Capricorn, Saturn and Capricorn in the fifth house, which is what I, I, I was saying before. It's lessons with um, possibly control in something that has to do with Leo things, leadership, children, um, uh, entertainment of some sort. Sixth house is Aquarius. Uh, seventh house is Pisces. Eighth house. Eighth house has Neptune and Chiron in Aries. Eighth house with that Chiron and Aries, there could have been a loss early on mm. of someone in their life that they had to recover from because it's eighth house, which is death and rebirth and legacies and sexual behavior, everything Scorpio, uh, which is ruled by Pluto. So a, a, a lot of fiery legacy power issues 
but Neptune is there. So that would make it creative, but in a way that is oh, very driven creatively. Uh, then go to the ninth house. So uh, uh, just to clarify, you're saying that this person would have issues with legacy, but be able to creatively overcome that? Well, when you have Chiron, it's the wounded healer. So the best case scenario with Chiron is you have this karma, whatever it is, karma with death or power or something that is Plutonian, right? Death and rebirth, power, uh, sexuality, um, uh, 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 dark magic, <laughs> dark magic, maybe, um, things like this. And this person has it in Aries. So having Neptune conjunct Chiron in the eighth house in Aries would be wounded healer uh, it, regarding the eighth house and possibly also creativity because Neptune is dreams and psychic ability and all that. So having, it's like a double dose of intuitiveness, um, dreaminess, um, illusion, uh, creativity. Hmm. Does any of that make sense? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Um, maybe when we put it all together, it'll make sense. I'll have a better understanding, yeah. but, um, then ninth house has, Unless we have the wrong time of birth, which might also be a problem. Uh, but um, per this, having Pluto and Taurus in the ninth house would make this person a very powerful, very stubborn uh, philosopher. Hmm. A very driven, powerful. Because uh, Taurus is very stubborn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, once a tourist sets their course, they're not changing. It would take an explosion to get them to change, and they don't have Uranus in this house. So whatever this person would decide to do, doesn't matter what, nothing would stop them mm. from going towards that. And it has to do with their own dogma, their own religion, their own philosophies, uh, travel, um, teaching, uh, learning, all of those Sagittarian things, okay? Nature, all of those things, all right? Um, then we have Gemini in the Midhaven, which would make them a very good communicator, okay? And North Node in Gemini in the 10th house, conjunct Moon at that 29 degrees, so... When you have moon at 20, you know, anything, like I've said every time at 29 degrees is, uh, there could be a love, there could be some sorrow involved with that. And the moon is also connected to the mother, right? And women. Uh-huh. It can be mother, women, sisters, women in your life, but most importantly, the mother. Mm -hmm. So having moon in the 10th house, uh, somehow female nurturing energy is connected to this person's career and how they how they do their career 
their career also has, they're very emotional about their career. Their emotions are somehow connected to their career. Um, and, and, and almost like, uh, wherever the moon is, is a need for nurturing, a great love of love. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. In their career. So somehow their career, if they, I'm, I'm assuming they were very successful and that maybe people love them. Um, but it is emotional. So also we have Mars at zero degrees cancer, which makes their direction in their career nurturing. So that's like having moon and Mars in cancer. You know what I mean? Like, 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 their moon is in Gemini, right? It's at 29 degrees, which is also on the cusp of cancer. So you can go five degrees one way or the other, right? So if you go five degrees into Gemini or go five degrees into cancer, so that this person has moon and Mars in a very interesting space for their career because they can have aspects of both. Hmm. Uh, Moon in Gemini also makes this person very cerebral about how they deal with their emotions. Mm-hmm. Like a person who would, if an emotional situation comes up, they got it. They're going to need to talk about it and probably talk about it a lot and decipher it through that. You decipher those emotions through communication. I don't know if that makes any sense, but their direction also being zero degrees, cancer has a lot to do with communication, but also nurturing. Then we move to the next house, which has Venus at nine degrees cancer, which would mean that this person should have been loved by the public. Mm-hmm. Um, wherever Venus is, is what you love, but it is also for a man, it's the kind of woman he loves. And this Venus is in Cancer, so he would have loved a very nurturing, or should have loved a very nurturing kind of woman. Uh, this person also has Sun in Cancer, which is a very nurturing. Um, and 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 I don't know. I, I would think that this person is maybe funny. This person might have been funny. Mm-hmm. Um, cancers can be very funny. Uh, most people see them as more like emotional, but uh, they can be very, very funny. Um, comedians, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, comedic. Um, then we have Mercury, also in Cancer, which would again, I mean, it's, I feel like this person was funny. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Uranus in Leo. Mm. Uranus at zero degrees, Leo, with that Jupiter. I, I cannot imagine. Is this person not in show business? Because <laughs> they have all this stuff in the 11th house that makes them funny and, and, and lovable and all these things. So uh, I don't know what I've hit on that. Eighth house that uh, Chiron and Neptune and Aries would give them great creative direction you know what i mean mm-hmm. like they could just plow through the direction they want to go creatively 
I don't know. Does any of this make any sense? Yeah, a lot of it makes sense. I think given your natural tendencies towards children and show business, uh, you naturally go towards those first, where mm-hmm. the leader part of Leo is much more what this person did. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, everything makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, I mean, Saturn is, you know, lessons. It's what it's what you have to learn. It's what you're meant to learn. So if this person was a leader, then they do have Saturn in the fifth house, which is ruled by Leo, which is leadership. So they would have had to learn to be a leader. They have mm-hmm. Saturn in Capricorn, which is also business type of leadership and economic, but it's also all of the um you know like politics and 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 control it's all the things that control us you know mm-hmm. like and in in uh any th- things that are ruled by capricorn or politics and laws and government mm-hmm. and, you know dogma and all all these things where man wants to put control on something so i don't know do you have any questions uh yeah um so you you mentioned how this person would be uh, a a skilled communicator, maybe even witty and funny. Um, now there's a lot of different types of communication. There's the way that you would address a whole group of people, and then there's the way that you conduct yourself in a one-on-one conversation. Uh, can you tell anything about? either of those, how this person would address a group of people or how this person would conduct themselves in a more intimate conversation? Well, uh, they have a sign change in the 11th house. So most of their 11th house is ruled by cancer. Okay. And with that, they have sun, Mercury, Venus, and Mars all in cancer. Okay. Then they have Uranus and um, Jupiter in Leo. So, I mean, there can be a very serious side to cancer with those Leo aspects and very, uh, you know, strong nurturing leader aspect. Uh, I would think, I just keep getting that this person had a sense of humor. Like, Mm -hmm. A good sense of humor. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but that's what I'm feeling from this. Is that this person had like, like this person could be really serious, but at the same time seem to have a handle on things. And uh, even unexpected things, somehow they could get a handle on it, or or somehow ground it with it. I don't know, but um, I would think that this person was well respected. By groups of people. Mm-hmm. And that groups of people who, you know, would hear communications from this person would feel that they were being taken care of, mm-hmm. nurtured somehow. And possibly in private, this person was more comedic. But um, I think this person could be liked in any situation that they wanted to because of the way these planets are lining up and the way that they are placed in the houses. But I would say this person was a nurturing leader 
and uh, very driven, very driven, like legacy driven. Like this person was going to change whatever it is they're mm-hmm. working on, and that nothing could stop them because they were set on their path, like. They had taken this yoke on and they were an ox and they were just going to keep moving. Nothing was going to stop them. They're too big. You can't stop them. They're going to plod, plod, plod along towards whatever it is. Um, is that making sense? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, how? Uh, what is this person's relationship to power? How would they wield it? Well, their Pluto in the ninth house in Taurus. Uh, It's like if you imagine a giant ox, like huge, like this bigger than Godzilla, moving towards whatever goal they have, there isn't anything that can really stop them. They're just going to keep going. You can't stop them. So they set a course. And then they just keep going until they get to where it is. Mm-hmm. You know, they have this Neptune and Chiron and Aries, but they have all this Cancer and Capricorn, you know, and Taurus. There's a lot of Earth and water. So I would think that they just wouldn't, you couldn't stop them. They would just move at whatever pace they set towards the goal they were going to reach. Okay. They do have that Gemini, though. I mean, in the 10th house, they have the availability of that North Node, so they can be very quick. You know, they have Virgo rising, and they've got Gemini in the 10th house. So they're. I would think this is a very smart person. Mm-hmm. Um... Do you get any sense of what kind of father he would be? Well, this person has son in cancer. So I would think they would be a nurturing father. Um, But they're very busy, you know. They have son in the 11th house, so it's possible they were very busy. Mm-hmm. And didn't have as much time as they might have wanted to spend with their children, maybe. Right. Because they're very busy in the public. They are extremely busy. And they have Saturn in the fifth house, which would be also lessons with children. And and maybe could have even been strict with the children. Like Saturn, like trying to teach them. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes maybe too harshly. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we've kind of covered a little bit of this before, but I'll just ask the questions directly and we'll see if there's any more insight you can get of uh, what kind of person uh, would this uh, person be attracted to in a romantic partner? Well... They have Venus in Cancer, so they would kind of be attracted to a person that's kind of like them, I would think, because they have Sun conjunct Venus, okay? 
So their sun is at 12 degrees and their Venus is at nine degrees. So that's within five degrees. So it's within the orb of conjunction. So I would think that they would want someone similar to them, similar in their nurturing, similar in also in the public eye, because they're in the public all the time. I would think this person is in the public all the time. Okay. That's interesting. I think, um, I think there's a, a, most people would say that this person was very much the opposite of their wife. Um, Mm. but I, there's a lot of things uh, from this chart that I think I can, once I reveal who it is and and do everything, I I think at the end we can come to terms with all this because there's a, there's a lot of things that are spot on. There's a few things that um, maybe maybe this guy was playing 4D chess with everybody and uh, <laughs> was uh, making us all think one thing while he was actually doing another. Well, that's very possible because this person has Gemini on the 10th house, so they could be four steps ahead of anybody. But also, they have Moon at 29 degrees Gemini so and in the 10th house. So... They might have wanted a career woman, you know, Um, Venus and the moon are going to be your signs for a heterosexual male, uh, what they're looking for in a woman. And Venus being more so than moon because moon is more mother. So, but this person has Venus in cancer, Mm -hmm. which would give a very nurturing, uh, motherly kind of woman. Right. You know, a, a, a loving moonish woman, you know. Uh, well, are there uh, any other insights that you can uh, get from the chart that you haven't already talked about? I think also, if we also are looking at a partner, he doesn't have anything in the seventh house, but he has Pisces ruling the seventh house. So it's possible that he could want a partner that was more creative i mean there's a lot of different things to look at in every chart Mm -hmm. that can make it sound like you're saying well it could be this but it could be that but it could be this but it could be that and that's true because all of the things that are in anyone's chart are simply the photograph of where the planets were at the time they were born Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't necessarily show you you know what other aspects intercede into creating that person so i can only describe what the different aspects might be you know i could tell you for sure you know that this person wouldn't want you know an aquarian type of woman because they don't have any aspects that show that Mm -hmm. you know so um yeah i think you know this person's north node in the 10th house was that they were uh millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A communicating somehow they were meant to communicate in their career. And I would not try to stop them because I don't think you could ever try to stop them once they set their mind to something, they were going to do it. And uh, very creative with how they go about that, with their drive. But definitely karma with leadership without Leo in the 12th house. Mm -hmm. But no planets in there, but still. Yeah. All right. mm -hmm. Well, I think we're, are we ready for our summary? Uh-huh. All right. So, uh first thing you said was uh this man was destined for show business. Um but I think that we've massaged that to be Leo things which includes leadership. Mm-hmm. Um karma with leadership, uh benevolence with leading um and uh, uh benevolence uh with the people. Mm-hmm. Leading groups of people, dogmatic, lessons with leadership. Wants to be a person who fixes, who organizes, and who makes people happy. Very smart, very witty. Uh, Would maybe want elegant things. Uh, Would also enjoy rustic things. Uh, Lessons with control and leadership. Uh, There's a loss early in his life. Powerful, stubborn philosopher. Very good communicator. A possible sorrow with the mother. A mother connected to the career. An emotional connection to the career. Love and nurture. Um, People uh, would love this man. Uh, Direction is nurturing. The direction of his life is nurturing people. Uh, There is a cerebral uh, aspect uh, in the way that he deals with emotions. Loved by the public. Uh, loved a nurturing woman, uh, might have been very funny. Um, Business leadership and economics, uh, very serious, but would have a handle on things. Uh, Driven by legacy, nothing could stop them. Uh, They would be a nurturing father, um, 
but they could be uh, harsh or strict with the children. Um, a partner, their romantic partner, would be similar to them, uh, have a similar position uh, in front of groups of people, and uh, could possibly want a, a career woman. Uh, is there anything that I left out? Yes, I just want to tweak the um, the part where you said might like rustic things. It's not that they would necessarily like rustic things. They would want to live in nature. Okay. Like they would prefer to be out in the mountains as opposed to be in the city. Right. Like they would prefer that. And then also where um, the women are concerned. Uh, I can't remember what you said about that, but. Um, uh, oh, well, it went away. It was something about the women. Can you retell me what you said about the women? Um. Uh, loved a nurturing woman, mm-hmm. a partner that was similar to them and was similarly in front of people and might want a career woman. Right, because it could be the, 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 um, the, uh, oh, I know what it was. It was, uh, the North Node, the North Node in Gemini is the, um, aspect that is, uh, what they, the direction they should be going. The direction they went is for the career. Uh-huh. Their 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 direction was career in communications, but they had a, their son is in cap in, is in cancer, which makes them nurturing and with the people. Okay, just to clarify that. Okay, uh, would you like to know uh, whose chart you've been looking at? <laughs> yes, this is the uh, astrological birth chart of the thirtieth president of the United States, Calvin Coolidge. Oh my, okay. Uh, Calvin Coolidge was born uh, John Calvin Coolidge Jr. on the 4th of July, 1872, in Plymouth Notch, Vermont. Uh, He was born to John Calvin Coolidge Sr. and uh, Victoria Josephine Josephine Moore. Um, The uh, people who settled in uh, Plymouth Notch, Vermont, uh, are called uh, the people who stayed. Um, because many of the people arriving to this little town in Vermont realized that the soil was absolutely wretched for trying to farm on it. It was very hilly and very rocky and was not suitable to any sort of uh, growth, and so most of the people were smart and they moved away. Uh, They moved to the west. That was not so with Coolidge's family. They stayed in Plymouth Notch, uh, and they tried to eke out a living on this rocky, poor soil. Uh, it was also a town that was bypassed by the railroad, so it was isolated and not connected to uh, really the rest of society. Uh, his father uh, was a uh, local store owner, and uh, he was also a local politician. Um, his mother. Um, died of tuberculosis when Calvin was just 15 years old. Oh, my. Uh, Three years later, his younger sister died of appendicitis. Uh, Coolidge attended uh, the Black River Academy and uh, just got out by the skin of his teeth and got into Amherst College. Uh, He was a very shy student, very subdued, uh, did not like uh, speaking up in public. 
Uh, and but uh, during his time at Amherst, he was coaxed out of his shell um, by Professor Charles Garman, and uh, eventually uh, uh, was able to uh, perform well in debates and uh, to stand up in front of groups of people. Uh, after graduation from Amherst, uh, he studied law, uh, and he uh, crossed the river into Massachusetts, uh, into Northampton, Massachusetts. Uh, he passed the bar, he became a lawyer, and uh, he opened his own practice in Northampton in 1898. In 1903, uh, he met a woman named uh, Grace Goodhue. And uh, the way one of the uh, stories goes is that uh, Calvin Coolidge was... Uh, up one morning, uh, he was shaving. Uh, he only had on his union suit, his his underwear, uh, while he was getting ready this morning and uh, shaving by uh, the window. And he would wear a bowler hat while he was shaving so that his curls on his head did not get into his eyes. And so there's this man who is shaving, wearing his underwear and a bowler hat, and this young woman happens to walk by and thinks that this is a very funny sight. And uh, they exchanged words, and from that point on, Calvin knew that that was the woman that he wanted to marry. Uh, and that was Grace Goodhue. Uh, she was a teacher uh, at the local school for deaf children. Uh uh, they were married shortly thereafter, and uh, Calvin Coolidge began his steady rise through local politics. Uh, he was uh, uh, in the uh, Republican Party. He was first a city councilman. Uh, he was then a solicitor. He was a clerk of the courts, uh, then was elected to the Massachusetts House of Representatives, then went back uh, to becoming mayor of Northampton. Uh, then he went to the state Senate, was the president of the Senate, lieutenant governor, and governor. He achieved all of this by the age of 46 years old. Uh, he Wow. Right. Uh, he uh, won a uh, governor of Massachusetts uh, by one of the smallest margins uh, in uh, uh, his, at least his history of elections. It was just uh, by a few thousand votes. Um, as governor, Coolidge uh, was very uh, much a, a dogmatic person, as bears out in the chart. Uh, he wanted to make sure that he followed the law. Uh, there's one story that says that uh, while uh, the president, I mean, sorry, excuse me, the governor uh, was uh, out on a car ride, the bodyguard was driving the car, and uh, he had, uh, there were sirens that would be on, on this uh, motorcade, and uh, they reached a stop sign, and the bodyguard uh, turned on the sirens and just blew right past the stop sign. Calvin Coolidge uh pulled the man aside and said, that is not uh, how I want you to do things. Uh, the governor should be the first person who follows the law, not the that's last. That's very nice. Yes, that's lovely. Um, during his first term as governor, uh, he uh, got national acclaim uh, for the Boston police strike. Uh, so the uh, Boston police force, uh, they had justified grievances. Uh, they were not being given the wages that they were due for the hours they were putting in. Uh, there are stories of um, the mice in the police stations were eating the leather on the uh, caps uh, of the uh, policemen. Uh, so did not have enough money to take care of themselves. So the uh, policemen, they went on strike. They tried to join the American Federation of Labor. Uh, 
when they did this, though, uh, Boston went into chaos because there were no more policemen. So crime went up, there were riots, there was looting. Eventually, Governor uh, Coolidge had to call in uh, the uh, state militia to try and maintain order. Uh, he wrote a, a very famous uh, telegram to uh, the person in charge of the Union, uh, the American Federation of Labor. He is also one of the greatest names of American history, a man named Samuel Gompers. Uh, Coolidge wrote to Gompers that there is no right to strike against the public safety by anyone, anywhere, anytime. And uh, and he fired all of those police officers and had to get new ones to come in. He was convinced that uh, his political career was over after doing this, but he saw that this was the only way to have order in the city. Um, this gave him a, a national, uh, he became a national celebrity overnight for having done this. And uh, not only did he win re-election, he won re-election as governor by the largest margin in Massachusetts history up to that time. Wow. Uh, in 1920, talk of uh, the presidential race and this new national celebrity, uh, Calvin Coolidge, governor of Massachusetts. People were naturally taking a, a look at this uh, young man. Um, and it was all set up for him to, he could have walked away with the nomination, except that the uh, senator from his own state, a man named Henry Cabot Lodge, he was from Boston. And uh, the people in Boston uh, turned their nose noses up at the people from western massachusetts that's the boonies uh so uh they were not going uh, he did not like calvin coolidge and so he stopped um his support of his local uh, governor from being the nominee and instead warren harding was nominated as the presidential candidate and calvin coolidge was selected as the vice president um these two men, uh, Warren Harding and Calvin Coolidge, could not have been farther apart in their uh, the way that they led their lives. Uh, Warren Harding was certainly the president of the 20s. He was a man who did not care about this new prohibition law. Uh, once he was president, he willingly served liquor in the White House, stayed up way into the wee hours of the morning playing poker games, uh, using presidential sets of China. There's one story that says that one of the presidential sets of China was gambled away in a poker game. Uh, there are stories of all sorts of extramarital affairs and all sorts of corruption with Warren Harding. Calvin Coolidge was very much by the book, by the law, um, following uh, uh, everything that he believed was right. Right. And it is during this time that Coolidge was given the nickname Silent Cal. Uh, it was said that uh, at all these dinners and whether they were wild or not, um, he just would say just a few words uh, at these parties. Uh, in fact, there is this famous story, which we now are not exactly sure if it's true, but it so much speaks to the man that I have to tell it anyway, uh, that Calvin Coolidge sat down to one of these society dinners and there was this uh, uh, young socialite, this uh, young woman uh, who uh, uh, was very uh, pretentious and said, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Vice President, uh, I've placed a $5 bet that I can get you to say more than two words tonight. And Coolidge looked at her and said, you lose and didn't say anything for the rest of the night. 
Yeah, I think that's that Pluto in Taurus in the ninth house. Oh boy. Yep. Uh, so, uh, 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 Harding uh, maintained his rather raucous presidency uh, through 21, 22, 23. In the summer of 1923, Harding decided to go on a whirlwind trip uh, to the western states. Uh, he took a, a train out to uh, California and had plans to uh, board a, a ship to go to Alaska. Uh, he uh, arrived in uh, uh, San Francisco and uh, went to the hotel. On uh, the night of August 2nd, uh, 1923, uh, the Coolidges were uh, back at home in uh, Plymouth Notch, Vermont. And uh, in the wee hours of the morning, around 2 o'clock in the morning, on August 3rd, 1923, there was a knock at the door. It was uh, the man from the telegram office. Warren Harding had passed away. Uh, at 2.43 a.m., uh, Calvin Coolidge's father, uh, on the only authority being that he was a notary public, uh, gave uh, Calvin Coolidge uh, the oath of office, uh, making Coolidge the 30th president of the United States. Uh, there was no electricity in the house, so they were doing this by kerosene lamp. And uh, this vision of the President of the United States, arguably at this time one of the most powerful men in the world, assuming this office by lamplight, by an oath given by his own father, uh, was an image that completely uh, characterized this man's presidency. Uh, Again, Coolidge very much the opposite of Harding. His first uh, uh, mode of business was to clean up the administration, make sure that the Senate investigation to all of Harding's uh, ill doings uh, got all of the bad people in the administration uh, out of office. Um, and this is the 1920s. So uh, you think of the Roaring Twenties, you think of the booming economy. Calvin Coolidge, notably, uh, one of his greatest quotes said that the chief business of the American people is business. Uh, he uh, won a stunning uh, re-election victory in 1924. Um he, in fact, won. Uh, it was a three-way race, and he won more votes than any of the two opponents. Uh, he uh, talk. This is, you know, the 1920s. This is the time of laissez-faire uh, capitalism, getting the government out of the way of business. Um, he made sure that the tax rate on the wealthiest of Americans went down from 50 percent to 25 percent. Uh, he uh, and revenue for the government, rose, even though the tax rate had gone down. Uh, unemployment went from uh, 6% to 3%. Now, this is a whole bunch of economics jargon, and uh, I would you know, uh, make sure that everyone who's listening to this, you must consult uh, your family economists before deciding if laissez-faire capitalism is right for you. <laughs> but I think that the greatest impact that all of this had on everyone's regular lives, is the creation of Saturday. Up until the 1920s, people worked six days a week. But because of the amount of capital that was being created and the amount of funds that were being created by all of these businesses, the businesses realized that they could get the same amount of profit whether people worked on Saturday or not. And so people got a full weekend two full days to themselves. I think that that is, the, and that really happened because of the things that Coolidge did in his administration. Um, mm -hmm. 
now uh, again, you know, the, this is the 1920s, so you know what's right around the corner is the uh, Great Depression, the stock market crash, and uh, again, your local economist can tell you whether how much Coolidge's uh, administration had a, an effect on that. But during the 1920s, uh, the Coolidges were known not for having the same sort of raucous parties that the Hardings were used to, but were still good entertainers. Um, Grace uh, was very much seen as the uh, a grand host, the opposite of Silent Cal. She was elegant and uh, uh, was gregarious with everyone and uh, hosted all of the uh, greatest movie stars and entertainers of the 1920s. All uh, could come to the White House. Uh, there's this uh, story that uh, the White House uh, painter uh, was uh, painting a portrait of Grace. And uh, in it, she wears this stunning red dress. And uh, uh, the portrait has her standing up in this elegant 20s red dress and has their dog uh, uh, standing by her feet. And uh, Calvin Coolidge looks at the portrait and says, uh, well, it, it's very nice, but wh why does the dress have to be red? That is such a, a bold color. I, I'm not sure if it's exactly fitting for the... Uh, uh, for the first lady. And the artist said, well, uh, it, it has to stand off from the dog. The dog is white, so she can't be wearing a white dress. And Coolidge goes, well, I would have preferred the dog be red than, <laughs> than the wife wear a red dress. Uh, so... Uh, I've gone a little bit out of order with all this, but one of the uh, things that really marked uh, the Coolidge administration uh, was a sad uh, turn of events that happened uh, while he was running for re-election in 1924. Um, his son, uh, Calvin Coolidge, um, was coming home uh, from school and uh, was playing tennis uh, with the uh, local uh, doctor and the uh, um, the his other uh, brother. And uh, while he was playing tennis, he developed a blister on his toe. Uh, the blister became infected. And mm. in 1924, there was no penicillin. All they mm. could do was to wait out and see what would happen. After 10 days of over 100 degree fever, the boy mm. passed away. Mm. Uh, I think that it is just so striking that this is less than 100 years ago. And uh, they did not have the medical care to take care. A, a boy could die from a blister on his toe in less mm -hmm. than a hundred years. We've come all this way in medical advances is truly amazing. Um, this had a profound impact on Coolidge. Uh, really, the zest for his political life and the zest for life in general was completely drained from him. He blamed himself uh, for the son's passing. He said that he he's not exactly sure what would have happened if he would have never run for president, but he knew for sure that if he had never sought political office, if he had never been so ambitious to take all of these different government jobs, that they wouldn't have been at the White House. House, and there wouldn't have been a tennis court, and his son would not have died from that blister. Mm. Uh, so he lived with that for the rest of his life, um, and uh, eventually decided in 1928 not to run for president. All of the political experts knew that if Coolidge had run again for re-election, he would have won by one of the largest landslides in American history. The American people absolutely loved Calvin Coolidge. Uh, but he decided to walk away and return to uh, Plymouth Notch. Um, 
all the people who supported Coolidge, all the big Wall Street donors, all the uh, people from around the country, uh, well, this was the time of we're going to make a presidential library for uh, this man that we love so much. So they got millions of dollars, which if you think about it uh, today, millions really meant a whole, whole lot of money Mm -hmm. back then. And they got all these millions and they uh, gave it to Calvin Coolidge, wanted him to uh, create this presidential library. And uh, he turned around and he said, no, I'm not going to have a presidential library. I'm instead going to give it to my wife so that she can create a foundation for the education of deaf children. Oh, And uh, that's exactly what she did. He made sure that she was taken care of and would have something to work on for the rest of her life because he knew that his own life was uh, uh, coming to an end. Uh, He suffered from health problems all throughout his life. And uh, just a few years after he left office, at the age of 60, uh, he passed away uh, in January of 1933. Uh, Mm. In his clothes, they found a locket, and in the locket was a picture of his mother. He he had carried that with him for his whole life. During uh, important times in his life, he would go back to the family cemetery and uh, go to the grave of his mother. Um, uh, uh, And he is buried very close to her in the family plot. And the only thing that uh, people will go there and will oftentimes miss the headstone uh, because it looks just like all the others. The only thing that uh, connotes it from being a president is that there is a presidential seal at the top of the headstone. Other than that, it is the same size and the same design as everyone else in that same cemetery. Um, So... Uh, That is uh, the uh, life of uh, President Calvin Coolidge. Uh, I think that uh, the the chart bears it out very well. And uh, we we definitely know about his wit and the funny things that he said. Um, But, you know, talking about show business, there's a theory that says that all of the silent cow, all of the reservedness, all of the seriousness was an act that it wasn't his natural self, but it's what he knew that the American people wanted out of their president. And so mm-hmm. he acted like that in order to uh, uh, ensure that the people felt better about their leader. Uh, and I think that maybe that's what kind of explains everything, is that maybe he was very much like his wife and very gregarious in some ways, but he was acting as someone who is much more serious and much more reserved. Well, they were clearly both very nurturing people. And so it's very interesting, you know, to realize who he was and how he behaved because, you know, cancers can also be very shy. They can also go, you know, just, you know, they have a shell. So that's very interesting. And it's also very interesting in that, it 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 makes me sad every time I see that twenty nine degrees somewhere, because it 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 is it just shows up as the degree of sorrow so often, and having that twenty nine degrees moon in uh the tenth house, you know, but also to know that he went, you know, that so much of his career was wrapped up in 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 him, you know, communicating with his mother who had crossed over, you know. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. And that Saturn in the fifth house, lessons with children, lessons with uh, leadership. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, But 
and then Pluto and Taurus in the ninth house, very stubborn about, you know, doing things properly, doing things by the law, doing things that way. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and it does make sense for him to have uh, been in love with the wife who was, you know, also in front of the, you know, she was very nurturing to groups as well and and ended up with a legacy of being nurturing to groups, you know, to deaf children. Mm -hmm. So it's beautiful. It's very beautiful. Uh, well, are there any other things that uh, make more sense now that you know who it is? Well, it does make sense when I can work it out and go, oh, okay, well, you know, uh, having Jupiter and Leo, uh, he did have a lot of luck with his leadership, you know? And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's just really clear. It's, it isn't a chart that, um, is, uh, you know, extravagant or anything like that. It's just very, uh, it, 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 it's not really simple, but it, it, it is pretty cut and dry, you know, when you see it and you see, okay, well, the people would have loved him, you know, and, and, uh, he was clearly a very good, proper leader, you know? Mm. Yeah. Very good, good man. Uh, well, uh, on our scale of, uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, I think this is another one right on the money. Uh, well, uh, this concludes this episode of History in Retrograde. Uh, we'd like to thank you so much uh, for listening. And uh, if you like, you can uh, reach out and uh, talk to us on socials. We're available at Facebook, uh, at History in Retrograde. Um, we are available on Gmail, at History in Retrograde, at gmail.com. And on Instagram, uh, at, at Retrograde Podcast. And uh, if you like what you hear, uh, there's a uh, link... Uh, uh, to our uh, PayPal account, uh, where uh, you know, if you have anything that you'd like to give, uh, we would uh, definitely appreciate it. It would help us uh, get better equipment and uh, grow the show. Uh, so, uh, I think uh, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. It'll all be just fine, and we'd really love to hear from you. Please email us; we will definitely read them. And we are looking forward to what you have to say and any suggestions you might have for Chandler to do all of the research on a historical figure. And I know I enjoy doing every chart we do, so I'm very excited to see what you might um, have to offer. And please tell your friends about us. And we really, really, really appreciate you watching, uh, watching, <laughs> listening to the show, maybe watching it soon. And um, we just thank you. Thank you very much. And happy holidays. Absolutely. Happy holidays. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.